evening, everyone. I'm glad that you could all join us tonight. I can't believe that we're already sharing in our last worship service of 2020. You know, last year at this time, no way in my wildest dreams would I have predicted that this would be happening. And yet here we are once again, live streaming instead of being in person. Chris is actually spending time with family for Christmas this week. And so he will be back with us next week. And tonight you're stuck with me, your lowly youth and family minister. So if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Blake Dozier, and I'm glad that you could be here. A few years ago, my family moved back into town after living in the country for a handful of years. And being in town last year at Christmas, I decided for the first time in my life to put Christmas lights up on the house. You know, it was no Griswold family Christmas lot job, that's for sure, but I was still pretty proud of the feet. You know, lights never really look good in the daylight, so I turned them off and I waited for dark. And as dusk hit, the neighbor's houses kind of started turning on one by one. And I was pretty excited to hit the power on ours. You know the scene from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when Clark Griswold plugs in the lights and his face lights up and angels start singing and the shot pans out and there's this aerial view of their house completely covered in lights? Ours was the polar opposite of that. It was like I plugged them in and then squinted a little bit. Like there was a definite change. Like did they even turn on? I guess you get what you pay for. And we have some super classy neighbors who didn't cheap out on lots like us because their house looks pretty nice. And theirs was ours barely glowing. This year I upped our game a little bit, but we're still not in the running for anything special. Up and down our street are all kinds of Christmas spectacles, and then our humble display bids people farewell as they leave the neighborhood. I think it is safe to say, when it comes to Christmas, the Dozier family keeps it mediocre. Why don't we put up Christmas lots? To give us something to look at, I suppose? I mean, it's fun. The kids like it. It marks a special time of year. It gives us traditions to enjoy. Why do we celebrate Christmas at all? I think an honest assessment would tell us that it's similar to the lots. It's fun. We like it. It's a time when we can build traditions that cultivate a sense of family and belonging. It really is a reason to celebrate. And who doesn't look forward to a reason to get some time off work and to slow down and to be with family and friends? While the Christmas holiday is traditionally a celebration of the birth of Christ. The truth is that this component has taken a back seat. We look at the nativity scene, and I think as believers, we're genuinely grateful that God would manifest himself in human form. I think we are genuinely grateful for God's plan of salvation, the role Jesus would play in it. But to simply express gratitude and then box everything up and move on to the next season, the tragedy. The birth of Christ is different than Christmas lights. It's more than something to just ooh and awe at. How often are we guilty of passing over the nativity scene with a deep sense of gratitude, but completely missing the magnitude? For many, the Christmas season is enjoyed and passed by. For the follower of Christ, however, this was the beginning of the most important era of human history. 
And the real impact comes from how we continually engage with the reality of Christ. The life of a Christ follower is dramatically impacted because of the hope that we have for the future. It's also true, however, that our today is heavily impacted and improved by the decision to follow him. But this requires some counterintuitive and culturally backward thinking. So tonight we're going to examine a text from Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Let's read it together. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is describing the life of a follower, the life of a Christian here. And he gives three directives. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So let's quickly unwrap each of these. Jesus starts by telling us to deny ourselves. You know, I told you it was going to require some counterintuitive and culturally backward thinking. And I think Jesus hits the idea head on right here at the beginning. In this culture, a core tenet of what it means to live a, a fulfilled and meaningful life is to fully realize yourself. You know, from a young age, we try to determine the individual personality of our children so we can guide them into a fulfilling life. Even the life of a Christ follower is often motivated by the purpose of self-preservation. We kind of gloss over this line and assume Jesus means basically that we shouldn't amass a bunch of wealth unjustly and that we should control our sexual desires. In other words, deny yourself. I'm not sure that really does a statement justice. Jesus is attacking a core tenet of our worldview. The, the glorification and exaltation of self. The individualistic view of reality. The fact that your rights and your health and your property are, first of all, even a thing. And I'm not so sure that biblically that they are. And second of all, that they can be pursued in the context of Christian faith as long as we keep it in check. False. Stop believing these lies. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ephesians 4.22 says that our former manner of life was corrupted through our deceitful desires. You see, yourself isn't that great, and pursuing yourself will not lead you to a good place. Our world is trying to convince you otherwise, and at every single turn, they are saying, figure yourself out. Do things that satisfy you. Do things that let you be the whole person that fulfill you. But the truth cries out from the pages of Scripture. We are called to die to ourselves. Romans 6, 6-7 says, 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This brings us to the next point. Take up your cross. I've always viewed this command as the imperative to shoulder the ridicule and shame that society places on the Christian life with the same resolve as Christ. In other words, taking up my cross meant that I needed to be prepared to suffer injustice and persecution. Here's the problem with that view. When Christ made this statement, the idea of him being crucified was nowhere in the minds of his followers. The cross for us is an emblem of triumph and salvation despite terrible injustice and suffering. For them, it was still the harbinger of justice. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, what did they think? In the context of a statement, it would seem that this is directly connected to the previous call to deny yourself. This is just the next step in the logic of what that looks like. You aren't just to set your desires aside. You're to place them in their rightful place. You are to view your selfish pursuits as the horrors and monstrosities that they are. Paul agreed. But let me read a passage from Romans 6, 6-7 again. He's talking to baptized followers and reflecting on where they came from. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus isn't asking you to suffer with him unjustly. His crucifixion was unjust. Yours would not be. He is inviting you to go to the cross today so you don't have to in eternity. It is of note that when Luke tells the same account, he adds an important word. Daily. Take up your cross daily. The battle between self and Christ is ever-present. Jesus' final call in our key text is to follow me. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And like earlier, I believe this list he provided was successive. First, you must deny yourself. Next, you must crucify your selfish desires. And then you are set to follow. Here's where your life will change. <clears throat> I said earlier that our lives today are heavily impacted and improved by the decision to follow him can't think of a place where this is more evident than in the life of the Apostle Paul. Specifically, it's put on display in the book of Philippians. You know, we talk about Philippians being a, a joyful book, because it is. But it's interesting that the joy that it radiates is superimposed over Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And the joy that he's calling the Philippians to hold is in the face of upcoming persecution. You know, when I was 16, I was bulletproof. Now that I'm 34, I spend way more time stabilizing a ladder before I climb up it. Paul, 
is spiritually bulletproof. Philippians 1, 12 through 21, we see this on display. In verse 12, he starts by saying, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's referring to his imprisonment. He goes on in verse 18 to write, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Death is a whim because I'm following Christ. Life is a whim because I'm following Christ. Paul had found life, and it didn't come from preserving life for himself, but living life for Christ. Jesus said it in our passage, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but for whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When I look out at the landscape of 2020, I'm grateful that despite difficult circumstances, as a follower of Christ, no matter what, I win. We get life. If you're struggling with discouragement, I believe you will find that the harder you struggle, the deeper you go. It's my hope that this reminder tonight will redirect your footsteps as we walk into 2021. See, a follower is one who has denied themselves and taken up their cross. 2020 has been tough. We've experienced a lot of good years, but this year has been a year filled with a lot of tension, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficult situations and strained relationships. It's kind of like, like taking down Christmas lights. You know, putting them up is kind of fun, but sometime next week, those of us who are socially responsible human beings will have to take them down. We went through the fun season, and now we endure the difficult one. It's the mess after the presents or the, the dishes after the meal. Our world is dealing with the less desirable side of things right now, and it isn't exactly fun, but here we are. As a follower of Christ... The seasons of life can be seen as just that. Temporary seasons, all carrying us toward Christ and eternal life. Instead of crambling, scrambling to preserve all that is precious to us during these difficult times, may we be a people who humbly submit and turn our face towards Him. You know, if I was being real honest, there's not a lot worth following in myself. So let's take up our cross and follow him. I want to leave you with a few pieces of practical advice for 2021. Number one, pick up your Bible and read it. Your Bible is going to tell you where he walked, how he talked, and what mattered to him. You can't follow him if you don't know him. Number two, be with God's people. 
the Spirit resides in his people. To follow him is to be with his people. We know that that has been difficult during this pandemic. I'm hopeful that we will be able to worship together as a community again soon. In the midst of this, we have to figure out a way to stay connected. While I know we've had to be physically distant, we should not be socially distant. We need one another. Third, spend time with God through the daily discipline of prayer. It was a habit of Christ. It was a habit of the apostles, and it should be with us as well. In doing these things, you will find yourself at the cross, crucifying your old self and submitting to the power of God to raise you a new creature. And this changes everything about both today and eternity. So as you clean up the Christmas mess around you and reflect on the mess of 2020, take part. While we might be in a season of messiness and difficulty, this life is still full of hope. It's not very hopeful if we pursue what is best for ourselves. But when we set those things aside and fall into the footsteps of Jesus, we become spiritually bulletproof and full of hope. Let's close with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 16-18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love you all. I miss being with you. And together we will patiently wait for this transient season.